Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm Josh Schneiderweiler, and this month I went to QPR's Training Ground to speak with their director of football, Les Ferdinand. I started by asking him what state the club was in when he arrived in October of 2014. When I came through the door, the club was, was going to get relegated. And when you get relegated, there's a depression that comes over a football club, not just the supporters, the management team the playing staff, uh, your members of staff, the whole football club goes into a depression. And it's it's how you come out of that depression. Uh, some people are going to come and go, right, OK, we're going to roll our socks up and this is what we're going to do. And some people are going to carry on with depression. Those are the people that you need to clear out your your your, um, your industry. And how do you feel about the culture now? Like, how would you describe it to someone who's uh, never been to, you know, QPR's training ground or mm -hmm. been to the stadium or, uh, you know, someone who doesn't know QPR? Certainly from when I came through the door, I, thought, I felt we had a toxic environment here. I don't think you'd feel that now. I think anyone coming into the training ground now would feel, feel a place where people come to, to work, people come to learn, people come to get better. And there's a, a more of a professional look and feel about the place, an environment where pe people are happy to come into. How you know stable or um, secure is the club financially? What what do the books look like right now? I think if uh, you know to give you an idea of it, when I when I came through the club, the wage the, the wage bill for for the football club was probably at about sixty eight million. We've had to reduce that down to twenty less than twenty million, and we've done that in four years. When I came through the door, the one thing I said was, "There's going to be a lot of hurt and pain." And there's going to be a lot of upset people. And there was, you know, supporters are upset because we're no longer keep competing at a level that they expect us to, to compete at. But there has to be a change. And unfortunately, when you make changes and the changes are dr dr as drastic as we've had to make, we still try to stay competitive. We still try to stay in the league. I've seen other teams that have come out of this league uh, get relegated from the from from the Premier League and and go down another league after that. But we try to stay competitive. We try to bring players in to 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 renew it. You're not going to get all right, every single one, every single player right. You're going to get quite a few wrong um, because you're chasing. And we were chasing for a while, um, but because of the new rules and the financial fair play coming into football, we're having to do things a little bit more holistically um, than perhaps we had done in the past. Yeah, when clubs reduce, you know, their wage bill as drastically, I mean, that's almost like 70%. It's like 60, you know, 65% or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of teams have to get a bit more creative in, in how they use and spend their money. How have you tried to be a little bit more creative or innovative in spending your money? I think what we've done is, uh, you know, the, certainly in the early part of, uh, of the job was we tried to uh, bring in what I'd call, you know, established championship players yeah we had to take a chance on some foreign players um, looking at the stats and the scouting I mean that's another department I had to change but we looked at the scouting and, and what we were doing what we were scouting and how we needed to change that and so we we tried to, to bring players in on reduced wages pay lower fees for them and, uh, and reduce wages and seeing if we could have the type of managers in here that could progress those players and make them better than what they actually were. We knew that they had experience. Some of them hadn't had experience at the championship. Some of them had, but we felt they were at a level where we could progress them. And so we saw like tried to identify managers that could progress those players. Um, and in some cases they worked, in some cases they didn't. And so that's what we looked at. At the same time, one of the, the, the key models for us was 
replenishing uh, the academy because for me, being part of this football club as a player, one of the things this club had a reputation of was players coming through the system and playing in its first team. And the club used to get stick for selling some of their best players in the past because they'd come through the academy and people wanted to see them stay. But they moved on for bigger money and and that was that that is what replenished the squad. Before I came through the door, I think it had been 15, 16 years before any player had come through the system and consistently played in our first team. I think we've had we'd had players that had made their debut, never to be seen again, played one or two games, but we had no player that had come in through the system and 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 stay part of the first team squad or part of the first team. And um, you know, since I've come in 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 twenty fourteen, I've got some some figures, but you know, every year someone's made a debut, or you know, we're we're now up to. 200 sort of like starts or sort 200 appearances from academy players that have come come through the system uh, i mean yeah you have uh, elias chair although he's not um you know he's a youngster not necessarily mm-hmm. from the academy eberechi eze who's been catching a lot of headlines recently yeah. so there's a clear emphasis on youth yeah does that come from you know the ceo and board of directors or is that like kind of out of your philosophy and your remit I think what we've done, we we spoke about it all together. So the CEO, the board of directors, we've said, look, we're, we're, we're actually in this position right now. It's not something, um, it's not all of a sudden we've said, look, we're not going out and buying any players. We're in a position where we can't. So we have to focus on, 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 on replenishing our academy. Hence why I brought Chris Ramsey in. Um, because for me, Chris Ramsey is one of the best developers this, this country has, has seen in terms of the players that have come through a system. And so we needed someone in there that was going to have a keen focus on getting the best out of these players and making them players that were viable for our first team. Um, so he's come in along with some, you know, Paul Hall, Andrew Impey and these guys that run the 23s. Um, we've had some very, very good success. Not only that, but you are actually building or in the process of you know moving training grounds. Yeah. Um, you know, so is there any update on that? Or it's, it's it's a bit of a sore topic, really, because you know even before I came to the club, it's one of the things that the owners have been speaking about for a long time: our new training ground, new new ground, new this, that, new, and it's taken a hell of a long time to, for us to to. It didn't take us a long time to acquire the land, but it's taken us a hell of a long time to get planning permission and um, everybody on board with what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it and, and, and how we're trying to, to build our own training ground. We had so many setbacks, um, not in terms of what we wanted to do, what we were trying to do, just um, unfortunately in this country, when you decide to build something, you're going to get the, the, the fellow that lives down the road say, well, no, they can't do that because of this. And then, and then petitions go up for, for reasons why you can't have the training ground. So we had to keep going back and going back and going back until eventually we got the green light. So um, we're in the process of you know putting things together to, to build our own training ground. And what do you think that will do for uh, the club and the academy? I think it's a majorly, majorly important uh, part of the jigsaw uh, that you have your own training facility and everybody on site at the moment we're on split site so we uh, we're here at Harlington at the moment and we have the first team in the 23s who train here but then every every team underneath that trains at Heston which is probably about four miles up the road from here so we're on split site so we're not we're not in close contact with the 18s, the 16s, so we're not seeing them on a daily basis or a regular basis, or regular enough basis. We're only seeing them sort of like match day time. So having everybody as one uh, at the football club, I think will be an enormous plus point for QPR going forward in the future. Have you been trying to take 
you know, things from other academies? Um, you say other academies have been trying to take things. I, mean, I think the most frustrating thing for us as, as an academy and a Cat 2 academy is, unfortunately, we are Queen's Park Rangers. I want to say that. I mean that in, 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 without being disrespectful to Queen's Park Rangers. But we're, we are a championship academy. We've had some very, very good players. And because of the way the system in this country is set up, we've had some outstanding young talent who we felt because um, you look for your academy and you know you can see it's 16, 14s, 15s, you think he's one for the future. But because of the way the system's set up in there, the likes of a Tottenham, the likes of a Southampton, the likes of a, you know... We're Premier, talking about EPPP. Yeah, EPPP. Yeah. Means that these teams can come in and take your players at 14 and 15, pay your compensation, and um, you don't get much more for them. So, you know, I always say that the likes of a, a, a Tottenham Arsenal... Chelsea, all these teams, they can stockpile and, and, and paying 200 grand or 100 and uh, I think the maximum they can pay is 300 grand uh, compensation. Paying that for a youngster is, is is small change. They can afford to stockpile, whereas we've identified that that person is someone that we feel could come for our system and play in our first team. Before he gets anywhere near the first team, he's gone. So it makes it very, very difficult. Looking at where we want to be and what we've got to do realistically, makes it very, very difficult. So we've had to go back to front, really. And what we've had to do is go to the Tottenham's, the Arsenal's, the Chelsea's of this world, players of uh, players that have been released by these clubs, hence uh, an Abire, hence uh, uh, an Elias Chair, and say, right, can we, can we bring them into our system and advance them a bit quicker than they would have done at the clubs they were at before? Yeah, no, that's really interesting uh, that, you know, essentially you're taking their talent, yeah. you know, and they're taking yours, but, bef- you know, before... But we're, uh, I'm going to stop you there. We're not taking their talent. Their yeah. talent's been released. Yeah, no, that's true. They're taking our talent, yeah. you know, they're, okay, they're paying a little bit of compensation, but not enough for what we believe that player could have been for us. Yeah, are there any examples, uh, just because I don't know the, the young players you're maybe referring to that you feel have... Uh, other clubs have taken that you you really wanted to keep. Yeah, I can give you one, and uh, there's there's a couple of other young ones that I'm not probably allowed to say. Yeah, but um, uh, certainly Josh Bowler, who was uh, a young player, came through the system. We had really high hopes for him, and in fact, he played um, for our first team. I made he made his debut for our first team at um, against Norwich at the end of not last season, the season before. And he was someone that we thought, core next season, he's going to push on here. And then Everton came in, paid compensation, and he was gone. Yeah, so is there any way that you've kind of tried to counteract or keep these big clubs away from your young talents? Or is there any way to do that? Like, <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not. And, you know, the way things are in the world today, a player could be playing for Queen's Park Rangers and we, we, we absolutely love him and we say, right, but we give him all the love and we can. And then... One of the big Premier League come clubs come call in and says, right, we like this player, we want to sign him. They go to the parents and the parents, with all due respect, want to be able to go to work and say, well, my son plays for Chelsea, my son plays for Arsenal, my son plays for Tottenham, I play, and they get attracted by the badge. Yeah, and obviously they think if my son can go there, he's got a better chance of becoming, you know, whatever it takes to to to, to be a, a professional footballer. I want to kind of switch topics a little bit. You used to be a player, of course. You know, when you finished player uh, playing, you went into coaching. Did you ever think that you would be in this upper management position? When I when I retired from football, I took some time out um, and I went into the, the to doing a bit of media stuff. 
Um, and that was the, so I wasn't totally away from football. It kept me involved with foot in, in, in football, but I didn't have to go into a training ground each and every day. It just gave me a bit of a breathing space to, to kind of think about what I wanted to do. And then, um, you know, Harry Redknapp gave me the opportunity to come back in at uh, at Tottenham as a coach. Um, he brought me in as a, a so-called striker coach. And it was really funny because when I walked through the door, the, the centre halves were speaking to me more than the, the centre forwards. You know, I was doing I was doing some stuff with the centre forwards, but you know, centre halves used to. I always remember uh, Dawson used to come to me and say, "Les, what would you have done then? And, and what about this run?" And, and you know, I would, you know, I'd speak to him. So I used to speak to the centre halves a, a lot more than I, I did the centre forwards. But like, I did I did some work with the centre forwards and then got a liking for the coaching side of things. So um, I decided what I was going to do was do my um, all my coaching badges, which have done my pro license and everything, um, and then. I kind of like looked at this side and um, it was probably Franco Baldini at Spurs um, who was the, the director of football at the time there and um, I saw how he went about things. Damien Moly was before him and you know I heard some really good reports about him and I thought to myself, you know in, in Germany um, on the continent this is a role that a lot of ex-footballers go into and yeah, I, I you know admit they we we probably most of us need to learn the business side of a football club, but certainly the football side. Um, a lot of uh, foreign countries or have these this role, and I thought it was something I wanted to explore. And even while I was coaching at Tottenham, you know, we was doing the 23s, and, and like I said, we we doing really well. And and then Tim Sherwood got the manager's job, brought me up as assistant with Chris Ramsey. And um, I kept saying to them, you know, at some stage I'm going to do this director of football role. Um, and I went on a couple of courses to try and get an understanding of of how boards operate. I did the on-board course at uh, St George's Park. and then, um, But I'd already done uh, um, the management course, applied management course at uh, Warwick University. And it was all about managing football clubs and how, 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 it, how the business side of football worked. And so I, I was all quite intrigued by that, and so I always felt it was a it was a role that I wanted to to, to, to try and get myself into. And so, how did uh, this role finally come about for you? I think when I when I left uh, Tottenham as as a coach, I met Tony Fernandez, and we had a good good chat about QBR and where it was and where it was going and what it what it needed to do. And um, and it was a chance meeting that I had with Tony, and, and we we got into a good conversation, and we we ended up talking football for a long time. And he said, well, you, you know, it's something I'd love you to come and do at QPR. And I said, at the time, Harry was the manager. And I said, well, it, it isn't a role that I would take on without the manager being on board with it and happy about it. Um, because I think if I'm, if I'm at the football club and we bring a manager in, then he's going to know I'm on his side. I'm not here to fight against the manager. I'm not here to, 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 to try and be the manager. I'm here to try and assist the football club and the manager in, in, in trying to progress the football club. So he said, he spoke to Harry, Harry called me, we had a conversation and then he said, look, I'd love you to come back to the club. And so that happened. He wasn't sure about the title, um, Harry. And then um, it's just progressed from there into to where I am today. Yeah, well, when you came, it was the head of football operations. Yeah. And then I, when Harry left, um, it was, uh, you were you know promoted to director of football. <laughs> you know, I want to talk about kind of your time as a, a sporting director I saw in a TalkSport interview that you said, a couple times I've thought about walking away. Mm. It's been fucking tough. <laughs> a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be. Uh, can you kind of elaborate on that quote and you know maybe talk about the, one of those tough times? I think, sort of like uh, coming in and doing ropes. Listen, I knew it was going to be tough, hence why I went at the beginning. I said, 
you know, we're in for a rough ride here. I, I knew we were in for a rough ride because I could see where the club was going. I knew the, 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 the situation. I knew the financial situation. But I thought we could cope with it. I really did. I thought we could. Uh, and, and listen, I say I thought we can. We are we are coping with it. But, you know, I played all my career in the Premier League. And um, I've been very fortunate in my career. I played from very, some very, very good sides. And had a relatively decent success. So I've always been up there. And trying to get back up there, you know, we've we, we we've chased a dream a little bit, trying to get back to to the promised land. And sometimes, I'm I'm here in an in, in an advisory role. Um, I don't make the final decisions. I give my opinions on what I feel we should do, um, especially on the football side. But we have a board of directors. We have a CEO, who I'm, I'm very close with the CEO, and um, I think our our, our thought patterns are pretty much the same. But then you have owners of, of a football club who you have to respect that sometimes they want to do something a little bit differently as as a, as a sporting director. Um, and it's always funny because I, I, I was saying to someone the other day, if a player comes into the football club and he does brilliantly well, everyone goes, well, what a great choice by the manager, well done, the manager, blah, blah, blah. If a, if a player comes in and he doesn't do as well as the supporters want him, it's the sporting director's fault. <laughs> you, know I mean? so you never get any praise for whatever you do. So... Um, yeah, I mean, just the, the change around the staff, the, the the players. And when I came through the door, we had players at this football club that didn't want to be here, you know, and I've gone on record of saying that some of those players had gone on record of saying that themselves. They was only here for the money. And so they were sitting here saying how, how rubbish this football club was, and that was hard for me to take. And I, I had to try and take that emotion out of it and understand where these guys were. Um, they'd come to the football club for money. Now they weren't going to leave the football club because they weren't going to earn that money elsewhere. So they were going to sit here on their contracts. And then what you're trying to do is replenish the, 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 the squad by bringing in new talent that you think are going to take forward, which are, which are earning a lot less than what these guys are. And they get infiltrated into to, to what these guys are doing around the football club and get influenced by their attitudes. And then you think, well, I've brought you in to try and change that attitude. But there's this guy earning this amount of money. You're only, only earning this. So you're probably thinking, well, yeah, he's right. The yeah. club is this. So the ones that you brought and you need to change around, you need to change as well. And like I said, on top of that, I had staff that was involved in that as well. So it's, it was a much, much bigger project than I ever ever managed, uh, imagined. And then with that, you get criticised. And, and through most of my career, I've, I've been praised. I've been criticised by opposition, but not my, not my own. Um, so some of that was hard to take, but I knew coming into the role that was that was going to be part of it as well. Um, but I'm human, and you're going to have ups and downs. No matter who you are, what you are, you're going to have ups and downs. And in my down times was because I found it really hard, you know. But coming in and 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 kind of like slowly but surely seeing the change of environment, seeing the change of what was going on, mate, is making it worthwhile. So can you talk about maybe one or two mistakes that you made and kind of what you learned from that experience? I think it's, uh, under, like I said, understanding the business of football. Everyone's going to make mistakes. You're going to have an opinion on players and not every player that comes through the door is going to be successful. I think that the ratio of players coming through the door and, 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 and being successful is one in four or one in five. So if you're replenishing a whole squad, then some of them you're going to get wrong. And and that's probably where I, I would say I've made mistakes. Uh, I've been on on this FA Talent ID course, uh, level five, which is a director's course. And you know, 
listening to other people. And I think what when when I went on the course, I was trying to get an idea of what the the role was. And I think they were trying to give a JD to the job. And what you what you realise with all the different there's ten different uh, guys doing the same job at different football clubs. And the one thing you do realise it means different things at different football clubs. Some people, uh, some sporting directors are heavily involved in just the recruitment side of things. Others are doing what I do and, you know, trying to put the people in place to, to help the, the, the club run smoothly as well as doing the, the, the recruitment side. So when I said I got things wrong, I'm talking about players more than anything else. Um, you, you're having an opinion on a player and you think he can come through the door and, and, and do a job. But the one thing I, I, I will say is, and a lot of people don't understand that because I think in, in some countries and in, in some, some other uh, clubs, the sporting di- the director makes a decision on who the player is. Says, right, we're bringing him in and the manager needs to work with him. I've always seen the role as very, very different to that. There's not a player that's come through the door who's played in the first team that the manager hasn't wanted. So he's come to me and he said, look, Les, we need a centre forward or we need a right back or we need a left back. I might like, he might like a player. And I'll say, well, <laughs> we ain't got the finances for player A here. But... With the scouting team, um, we'll, we'll scout B, C, D, E, F and give you them to have a look at. Which one of these do you like? And he might like F. And then we, we'll we'll have a discussion about it, an opinion on it and see how he, 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 we see him functioning in the side. And then we go after player F. When we go after player F, he doesn't need to get involved in what, what player F... Um, all I'll do is go and say, right, this is what the wages he wants. We, we're not there or blah, blah, blah. And we'll have that discussion. But in terms of doing the deal, I I work that with a CEO. I don't get the manager involved in that. He just does the coaching side of things, which for me is where this, this role is rather than me saying, here's player, you're having player F or you're having player G and that's all you got. Yeah. So how do you, you know, because kind of, I mean, you've had a, you know, in your time here, you've had a, um, a couple different managers. I mean, I could, you know, read the list, but... Um, Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, but, you know, you've had, you know, a, a bunch of different managers, you know, in your time here. And so I just am curious to how you weigh the short term versus the long term, because, you know, your role is to play the long term, yeah. but at the same time, the manager is there to play the short term. So how do you kind of view that? And I think that's 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 key to the role. Um, when I when I came through the door, I, I'm, I'm looking at QPR holistically down the line. I'm not looking at one, two years, eighteen months. A manager comes through the door, and because of the tanner of uh, uh, of a uh, uh, a manager in in in, in the championship at the moment, he's his tenure in the, in the, in the uh, championship is probably about thirteen months, fourteen months. Yeah. He's not looking at your under-18s, your under-16s. He ain't got time for that. So his main focus will be the first team. And all he wants is players for the first team. Um, so my job is is if he comes in and says, Les, I want to write back, and I've seen this 22-year-old, I'm looking at my, my 23s and I'm looking at my 18s and I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute, I've got two or f- two here that we think has got a chance of playing in, the, in, in, the, in our first team. But if I bring a 22-year-old in, what's the chances of him getting into our first team yeah, so so you'll tell him that yeah. you'll you'll, I'll, you'll I'll be I'll... like, listen, you know, I understand you might want a right back, but we have two in the academy that are doing quite well. Yeah. So if you're going to look at a right back and you want one for now, we might be looking at a 28 year old or a 29 year old, so that this 18 year old or this 21 year old can develop under that 
29-year-old, knowing that he's not going to be in his way for the next 10, 15 years. So we're going to get this guy into the first team. So that's my role, to make sure that we've got things coming through. Whereas when the manager says, I need this, 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 I can say, we've got this, this, this. It seems like your hiring of Mark uh, Warburton, that was a big consideration that you made when you were making that hire because you know he has a track record of, of playing a lot of young players. Yeah. Uh, is, is that the case? Yeah, very much so. We'd spoken to managers in the past who... Um, you know, the one thing I, I, I do when, I, when, I, when we speak to managers and we spoke to a lot of them, we tell them the actual situation of the football club and where we are and what we're trying to do. And a lot of them are good at saying, yep, I totally understand and I understand where you want to go and, where, and that's part of what my plan is or what I want to do and then they come through the door and do something very, very differently. I think Mark's track record is that he'll play the young players if he thinks they're good enough and give them an opportunity. And, and that's where we are as a football club. Not because we want to be out of necessity is why we're where we are right now. Um, the financial fair play means we have to produce players through our system. And unfortunately, we're going to have to sell them on at some stage as well. Yeah. Uh, I want to return to something you said a couple minutes ago. You said that you made some mistakes in terms of recruitment. Um, and that was kind of a big area of improvement for yourself yeah. um, as sporting director. What have you learned about recruitment and, and scouting um, players and talent ID? I think it's a process that we have to go through and we have to be more diligent. And again, uh, for the club and where we where we are at the moment and where we have been, everyone that came through the door, we was hoping would come through the door and hit the ground running. You have to be a bit more realistic about it uh, and take your hopes and dreams out of it and, and become a bit more realistic and a bit more uh, methodical about what you do and understand that this player might come through the door and you look at all the stats and all the credentials and you go, right, okay, he's, he's scored X amount of goals here, he's scored X, can we transfer that here? It may not happen. It may not happen, but as long as we've done our due diligence in the right way, and perhaps we hadn't done that as well as we should have done in the past. So are you saying like uh, taking more look at data in it or talking to more you know people closer to the player to just be a little bit more uh, specific? I think uh, data, we would never sign a player just based on data. Um, okay, the, the, the data only mar marries up what we've seen or what we think we've seen. Um, but you wouldn't, we wouldn't just sign a player on data. We wouldn't just sign a player of watching them on Y Scout. We would, we would go to, um, you know, view the player, and, and that's something what we've put in place that you know the player has to be sort of watched over five, six, six different games before we, we get to the level where I'm myself and the manager are going to watch. No, but you said more diligent. So I'm just trying to gauge where it was before. Yeah, so, so yeah, we would probably have watched them once or twice. Say, yeah, we think okay. he's blah, 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 blah. And, and we'd look at reports and stuff yeah. like that. But we're now a little bit more more diligent in what we do in terms of um, we would get different scouts to go and watch him. And okay. only when they all flag up the same green light, gives they give him the green light, then the manager and myself would go, or myself, and then the manager would go. Okay, thanks for uh, clarifying that. Um I, I want to also talk about, I, you know, I read some uh, kind of conflicting reports that you had interviewed for the, <laughs> the England yeah. uh, technical director job. Did you interview for that? Or I've, I've also read that you uh, rejected the interview. No. So can you just, uh, yeah, I guess clarify a bit. I think what, what it was reported, uh, it was reported wrongly. Basically, what had happened was um, I was approached by the English FA and asked, would I interview for the job? And I said, they wanted me to have a private meeting. I said, no, um, 
if you're going to want to, to meet me and you want to interview for this job, you need to get in contact with my football club. I said, my football club have been very good to me. They've given me this position. I'm not, not now going to go behind their backs and have a, a, a private meeting with anyone about any job. Um, if, you, if you wanted to speak to me, you need to speak to the owners of the football club. And they said to me, okay, that's what we'll do. So they, they wrote a letter to the, the, the football club asking, could they, could they interview me? The owners of the football club said, well, look, we don't want you to leave, but we understand it's England. Um, it's a step up from what you're doing right now. It's always a bigger job than what you're doing right now. You've played for England and it's perhaps something you want to look at. And said, by the way, we'd like you to go for the interview. We don't want you to take the job, but we'd like you to go for the interview. So I went for the interview. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get the, I didn't get the role, but um, I did interview, and I, and I kind of like said that. But somewhere along the line, it was said that when I said that I didn't get the job, someone took it as I didn't. I rejected the interview, which is not the case. But I I rejected the the initial. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, when you come private for a private meeting, meeting yeah, yeah. Uh, and I told them the, the way they would need to do it for me to to come for an interview, and and, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, do you think you would have been a good fit at England? Seeing what they do and how they do it, yeah, I think I would have been, yeah. But I'm still on a learning cur- curve in doing the job, and, and I understand that. And it wasn't my time, and I always believe that you know when when the time's right, um, the time's right, and you and, and and things happen for the right reasons at the right time. So, at some point in the future, you'd like to do it, or um, I don't know. I, I always said I came into the job, this job um, because I wanted to help QPR. I didn't come in here looking to to kind of like cut my teeth and go look to go somewhere else. If I if I leave QPR and and, and this job ends, um, would I go and do it somewhere else? I don't know at this moment in time. You know, there are still three clubs in the Premier League: Manchester United, your old club Newcastle United, and Sheffield United. Do you think they should have uh, sporting directors or directors of football? And uh, specifically, you know, since it's your old club, you mm. know, should Newcastle have a director of football? I think they they had one um, a while a while back, and he, he got rave reviews for some of the players that he brought to the football club. And then all of a sudden, it, it was no longer working in in his favour. And so, um, uh, Mr. Carr, and uh, and so he he, he moved on. Uh, I think it's. I think football's heading that way. And as you said, there's only three clubs in the Premier League that don't have them at the moment. Football's definitely heading in that direction because the manager, and if you speak to most managers, especially most modern managers, I think the old school managers will still say, oh, I don't want a director of football, or I need that for blah, 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 blah. I don't want someone overseeing me. But for me, it's not about someone overseeing you. you know, the, the person who comes in and walks through the door is in the interest of the football club. You know, my relationship with the manager needs to be good. I'm not trying to take the manager's job. I don't want the manager's job. My job is to to bring someone in who can advance this football club and move it forward. There's no point in him coming through the door and me and him being at loggerheads all the time. Yeah, there's going to be discussions that we have that he will agree with me and I'll agree with him and he won't agree with me and I won't agree with him. There's going to be those discussions and they has to be, but there's a level of respect and understanding for both of us that the wants for both of us is for the, the benefit of the football club and that's for me what the role's about yeah and uh, you know especially now like it seems that you had a, a much bigger hand at this most recent managerial hiring so like you know you guys should be you know more on the same page you're a lot to think so <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> you know uh, i i want to finish uh, talking about bame people in leadership positions, uh, specifically in executive positions. Um, you know, I, I saw a stat while I was doing research for this that I think less than 1% 
of uh, executives or leaders in, in football are, you know, from BAME backgrounds. Why do you think that is? It's an old establishment that we're working under. And football for a long time has been people em- employ their mates. Um, and, and we know that it's you know, people talk about the old boys club and, and, and blah 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 and, and, and that's what, what what football has been unfortunately football was a very very racist industry in terms of what people were allowed to get away on the terraces with and, and, and so on and so forth so black executives didn't see it as uh, an industry that perhaps they could perform in in the same way as a, as a young boy I didn't see football as a, an arena that I could go and apply my trade in or it wasn't an arena that had a trade that was for me until I saw the likes of the late Laurie Gunn and the late Sir Regis and Brendan Batson playing on a regular basis for, for West Bromwich Albion was the only time that I thought oh well I, I stood up and took notice up until then football wasn't an industry that I felt I could have a career in in the same way I think executive black executives BME um, re- uh, representatives probably feel football still not an industry that they're able to infiltrate. When I spoke with Michael Johnson about this, uh, he, you know, he's taken a sporting director uh, mm-hmm. course, and you know, he's a coach for the Guyana national team. Uh, he said, you know, one of the main reasons, in his opinion, was because of unconscious bias oh, or unconscious racism. Yeah. Um, and he highlighted the networking was a real big part of that, and he didn't think that people of color were given that opportunity to, to network. Um, do you feel like that's the, the case? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a massive unconscious bias, but the, you know we keep bringing this back to football. This is not just football, this is society. And society don't allow BME representatives to, to climb yeah. the ladder. So let's stop talking about it just being in football mm-hmm. and on the terraces. You know, I said, you know, people talk about the the, 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 the racism that the, the likes of Raheem and, and people get on the pitch. With all due respect, you know, it's not nice. I've, I've been part of that. I've had that. But really, realistically, it just spurred me on to want to, to wanna play better against the teams that were doing it against me. I come off the pitch, I walk down a ton, I go in the change rooms, I jump on the coach and I go home. My parents might be sitting in the stand. Why should they be subject to listening to that for 90 minutes? Or any other person's parents or family who wants to come and support their 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 sibling doing what you know ninety percent of the, the other players are doing and they're not getting no abuse for it. So when we're we're talking about eradicating it from stadiums, if they really want to, they can. Because if you was to kick one of these teams out of a major competition, in the same way that England were kicked out of um, um, European football for five years for hooligan. Uh, behaviour in Europe when we was in Europe and the hooligans were going out and causing problems they kicked England out of competition for five years we don't have that problem no more so if you really wanted to eradicate you can but the people that make the decisions have never been racially abused so they don't understand it yeah well I want to talk about you know your club because you know obviously you are in a position of leadership and that's you know, partially down to your chairman, Tony Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Do you think that plays a major reason why you maybe have this role um, that maybe you wouldn't have had an opportunity elsewhere? Yeah, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. I managed to sit down in front of Tony because of circumstances rather than because I was applying to an interview for a, for, for a job and got the job off of, of the fact that um, I sat there and he thought, well, this geezer understands football. You know, the things I was, te- was telling him, he, you know, and he's come back to me and he said, all the things you spoke about have come to fruition. 
in the way that you said they would come to fruition. So why wasn't you given this opportunity before elsewhere? And I said, you know, people will say, oh, we didn't know you wanted to do this. We didn't know you wanted to do that. But that's why I went on these courses. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to learn. It wasn't just for fun. Yeah. yeah to, to, to learn. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, being given the opportunity. I'm not sure I would have been given the opportunity if it wasn't for an ethnic minority board. And... How do you feel, I mean, because it's not just you at the club, it's also, as you mentioned, Chris Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you feel like, you know, diversity here um, has kind of manifested itself in kind of your practices um, and, and how you run the club? You know, sometimes it's, it's really funny because people speak to us and say, right, you know, you've got a real diverse, blah, blah, blah. What you're doing is, is exemplary. I've actually, I've actually employed more Caucasian people than I have black people BME representatives since I've been at the club yeah. but no one wants to talk about you know they want to talk about the fact because we got black coaches we got female coaches we got you know I always say when a CV comes through my door if I said to you Mr Walker was coming to interview if I said to you Mr Ferdinand was coming to interview if I said to you Mr Jones was coming to interview Mr Inch was coming you know okay I've, I've mentioned a couple of names that you know who I'm talking about had I didn't had you not known these people you wouldn't know who was coming through the door yeah you'd look at the CV see what they'd done and go right okay we need to interview that person when they come through the door if they match their 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 credentials on their their their, their form then you're saying that's the right person for my football club regardless of race color creed or ethnicity or gender that's that's the right person for my football club and that's the way we, 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 we've employed people at this football club. So there's not like any, you know, I don't know, like directive from anyone in the board or whatever that like, oh, we need to be more diverse or we need to, you know, seek out different um, ethnicities or... No, not uh, at all. And if I was told that, I probably wouldn't be sitting in this position because I don't, I don't think it's the right thing. I don't, I don't think you employ people for tokenism. You, you, you employ people for because they're the right people for the position. But giving everybody a chance to interview for the position, as I said, when a CV comes through the door and we we look at it, or now they get emailed, they don't actually come through the door. They get <laughs> of emailed. course, yeah. <laughs> when they get emailed, we we don't we don't see the ethnicity. Yeah, of course, there's a couple of names because if if Mr. Patel sent me a CV, then I'd, I'd have a, a, a good in, in indication that he might be Indian. If Mr. Chang f- came through, I'd have a, a good in- indication that he was Chinese. Or, you know, so there are African names that may come through and you, like, you, 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 you straight away think, but most of the time, you don't. Yeah. You know, we just, we, 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 um, we interview people on, on merit rather than on, you know, diversity. So you mentioned that, you know, football is just kind of a reflection of society and the bigger issues that, you know, not just football is having, but all these other industries and businesses are the same. So is there anything that football or people in leadership can do to kind of change that a bit and not make it 1%, but, you know, make it more reflective of the plain population, which is definitely not 1%. I think we it's something we've been speaking about for 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 years and years yeah. and years and years unfortunately and years, yeah. and years and years and years <laughs> and we're still talking about it because we we're, we're hoping in the same way that that at one stage there was probably 1% of black players playing or BME you know I keep saying black players but BME representation playing on 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 the pitches that percentage is now turned to sound like 30 40% the same way I'm part of the 1% you're hoping in years to come that people will be looking at it and saying, well, you know, that's a role that I can go and do. That's something I'm interested in doing. And, you know, I've already had calls from 
former players from players who are still playing saying Les I'd love to come and sit down with you because you know that's a role that I'd like to do and all you can do when they come through the door is, is, is give them the advice and say if it's something that you want pursue it pursue it you may get the opportunities and hopefully I'm, I'm one of the faces that will change the the, the, the the face of what people believe in and, and, and players believe in that they may have an opportunity to do it well Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining uh, the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. It's been good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with a new episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on Twitter at ground underscore guru.